Today on the show, we learn that the Star Wars writers really like feet. to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and themes behind some of our favorite universes. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jaden. And today, boy, do we have a fun episode. It was a shorter one, but I think it uh, definitely helped us establish the new arc. Uh, this yeah. show does a great job of doing that, like little filler episodes before the action starts. Yeah, and I would say this episode, too, has more stuff that happens rather than quotes. There are a lot of quotes that we wrote down, but I would think that it's just in general, the majority of stuff happened in this episode. Absolutely. So like always, we're going to do a brief synopsis coverage. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about it here and there, and then we're going to go a little bit more into detail, go with those quotes, go with those questions. You guys know the drill. We're going to go through all that stuff. But first, we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping as per usual. We would love to hear from our listeners. You guys. So email us at podcast at loreparty.com with all your thoughts, questions, episode ideas, and all that stuff. You know, you might just hear it in a future episode. You can find Kevin at In the Loop on Twitter and K Loops on Twitch and Instagram. And you can find Jaden on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Jad J. And of course, you can connect with the Lore Party team on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Lore underscore Party. Yeah. Now, before we dive in, we're going to take a quick break. Stick around, get some water. We'll be right back. Okay, now that we've bowed down to the corporate overlords, it's time to begin our synopsis. We begin Cassian's awful, no good, very bad day with him being loaded onto a prison ship bound for Narcana 5. And the entire time he's protesting, he's like, but no, I'm just a tourist. Like, like, dude, that didn't work for the judge. Now you're trying to get it to work on some random trooper? (laughs) No way. They get him on the ship and they even tell him to take his shoes off, which that'll become important later. Feet, guys. There's a whole feet thing lot going of feet. on here. A lot of feet. First it was House of the Dragons, now it's Star Wars. Yeah. So we cut to our buddy Karn. Uh, we, we go back and forth a couple of times between Cassian and Karn, and then when Cassian takes his shoes off, we then cut to Karn's shoes, who still has shoes on. Uh, he's dealing with some Imperial involvement of his own as he is all of a sudden summoned away from his job by the ISB and specifically Deidre. So he's in that room, you know, in his little weird circular cubicle. It's, I know that sentence sounds weird, okay? Circular cubicle, whatever it is, his little thing. I I don't know. It was... When I saw this scene, I definitely thought of exactly what you said about Futurama. It was pretty much an exact copy. So, turns out Karn is making false reports trying to get Andor's name into the system. Uh, It's really funny. Uh, Deidre calls him out, and she's like, I see five, and he goes, six. And she goes, I was not including this morning. (laughs) Like, he's still doing it. Um, And Deidre just pretty much, she's just like, why? What What is your deal? Why do you keep doing this? And he says he never saw the report on what happened on Morlana 1. 
and with that whole and, team. And, and, and Ferrix as well. And Ferrix. So that's the big thing. He never saw the report, and she's like, you signed it. And he's just like, yeah, okay, like, I don't, I was told to. They told me to. Yeah, like, he, yeah. Like, which it's so funny because like the the empire just keeps getting shown its own incompetence and they don't yep. ever acknowledge yep. it. They're just like, yep. oh yeah, that, that's pretty standard. So while she's leaving the room, she decides to give him the report. Tells her subordinates, give him the report, and they're like, oh god, today of all days. And she's like, it's fine, we have time. And then she heads off to a very important meeting. The meeting is in regards to what Daedra has dug up about the stolen star drive that Cassian had. And what she thinks she's going to need to take this further, because she's identified someone that they had not known about until this point. They're calling him Axis, because Daedra thinks that this is the guy who is the key to uniting all of the rebel fronts. And that's very interesting. Yeah, they see him as like, um, like the center of everything that's been going on. Yep. Which they're not wrong. I, so for you all to know, it's Luthen. Like they kind of hint at that. It's Luthen. So there you go. So now Cassian arrives on Narcana Five, and he's introduced to the Warden, who is wearing these really weird orange-styled moon boots from like Arthur. Like that's what I, I saw them, and I went, "Oh look, Skechers." Yeah, I saw them, and I thought the moon boots from Arthur, where he has to like jump. You know, they had like the little springs on oh, them. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I looked at. And I was like, huh, okay. So it turns out these boots prevent the guards from being shocked by a pulse in the floor. And he walks out and he's like, ah, see, we don't have any weapons. And you're probably wondering why. Well, guess what? And then they all drop to the floor instantly. Instantly. The best part about that is he goes, he goes, how do you, th- how, you know, you, we appear to you unarmed. I was, and I was like, motherfucker, you've got stun batons on your shoulders. What do you mean? Or on your hips. What do you mean? Yeah, they definitely have weapons. It's just they don't really need them. I guess. So we cut back to Daedra, and she's returned after her meeting to Karn. And she's like, so, hey, what do you think of the report? And he's basically, he gives it his old, uh, you know, fifth grade English teacher speech. He's like, this is terrible. There's nothing of substance in this report at all. And so then she asks him to, like, fill in the blanks because the stuff that's left out of the report that would make you know the her you know the former overseer look bad is not in there so she's like what's what's missing and he tells her he gives her all the details and shows like hey cassian is a bigger deal than we were letting on and we were led to believe and she's like cool and then she goes to leave and i will say this i'll give karn some props he immediately stands up and was like hey you know, I didn't deserve what happened to me. I was doing my job, and I got fucked over. You should give me a chance to serve the Empire again. Which, yeah. you know, I was not expecting that that yeah. that uh, stance from him, to be honest. He grew growing a spine. Yeah. Yeah, it felt a little bit um, individualistic. From somebody who's kind of, you know, the cog in the machine, that's kind of how it felt. So after this, Cassian is put into a prison uniform, and he's taken to his new home in this prison. Now, the entire time, it kind of seems like he, I don't want to say PTSD, but he definitely is having, like, an anxiety attack throughout this entire episode. Yep. Um, They have this weird music in the background and kind of almost like a clock going and, like, a little ring. It's like, 
it? Like, he's just clearly, like, not doing very well. And he, like, barely talks, too, in this episode. And, you know, you got to even wonder, too, like, the facility that he's being taken into is such a sterile, clean environment. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, like, we've seen prison camps, fr- Imperial prison camps before in Rogue One, where they're dirty, you know, they're filthy. Yeah. They're, they're breaking rocks to, into smaller rocks and doing, like... Putting the rocks back together and yeah, then breaking them again. Exactly. You know, the normal prison shit. But then with this, they, they this is like a clean room. You know, everything's very sterile. Everything's very controlled and precise. There is a purpose. And honestly, you know, to say this, Cassian's probably not used to being in a place that's this sterile. This must be like a crazy environment for him to be in. You know, he's used to the worn out grime and, you know, like a lived in place like he's been staying at. I mean, the last time he was somewhere that was really super sterile like this, at least what we have seen is, I mean, when he was a kid, you know, when that ship crashed, he went on there and he was the dirtiest thing on the ship. Yep. So on this level, the guards are not in charge, but rather another prisoner is. It's a very interesting setup. Yeah, he gets dropped into a room where everybody's working on a table and they're building the same components over and over and over and over and over again all day long. And this prisoner walks up. And it's Emperor Snoke. And wait, I mean, sorry. Ah, wait, sorry. Uh, it's one by the other name, uh, Aquino Loy. That's right. Played yeah. by. <laughs> you're played by Emperor you're Snoke. not wrong, but also I hate you because I've seen so many theories being like, when are we going to see him turn into Snoke? And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. So Andy Serkis is playing Kino Loy, who is the inmate who's in charge of this whole floor. He is the manager. Yeah, he's the manager of, like, the room in the floor. He gives Cassie in the rundown, kind of introduces him to his workmates, including a familiar face that we know named Melshi, who yes. is in Rogue One. He is he is uh, leading some of the ground troops that we see. We see Andor calling him a bunch during the battle. Where you know he he's part of the ground forces that that Andor manages to to round up and get to go into the fight. So you know there's a, I think it's kind of cool. We're gonna see Rogue you know Rogue One is actually the name of the strike unit. So maybe we'll see more of those characters being added to Andor's crew as we go on. Mm-hmm. 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 It's pretty cool. It's a nice little detail that I really liked. You know just. Reusing Star Wars is so good at reusing actors uh, or reusing characters and putting them in fun spots. So Kino, he tells Cassian the lay of the land. He tells him, this is very simple. You are going to be part of a team. They're going to be assembling parts. And you're actually not, you're competing. It's a, he goes, he goes, think of it as a game, as competition. You and your group have to build the most uh, components in a 12-hour shift, which by the 12-hour shift, that's brutal as hell. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah, it's nasty. He goes, and so here's the thing. If you get uh, first place, you get a prize. But if you get last place, you get fucking fried like he had been upstairs. Yeah, it doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound fun. Which I'm like, damn, that's not great. And And the worst part is he's joining in the middle of a shift and he's joining the table that's that was missing a man, so they're behind. They're gonna try to catch yep. up. They they get a call, and it's like a, a like a almost like a double time shift. Like it's yeah. they're in like a, a super fast now competition thing. They compete with the different rooms. Yeah, they're they're competing with the other floors in the building as well. 
so each table competes with all the tables in the room, and then the room competes with other rooms on the floor, and then the floor competes with other floors. Yes. It's very, very anime-esque. It's, well, it's, it's a great way to control the prisoner psychologically because, you know, they're going to start forming their own little cells around their tables, and they're not going to be thinking about, you know, because the biggest problem with a, with a prison escape is when all of them decide to turn. You know, if, if you, the, the small number of guards couldn't possibly stop the thousands of prisoners that are in this building, but if those prisoners are focused yeah. on taking each other down, they're yep. not going to be thinking about escape. Yep. So after this, in stark contrast to this prison of slavery, we go to another prison. We cut to Mon Mothma and her husband hosting yet another party. A prison of politics. Yes, you'll see that theme. We talk about that later on. Takeoma arrives again and informs Mon that her accounts are being watched now. And asks, you know, how much is missing, which she replies 400,000, which is like, what? He's like, how much are we moving and how much is going to be? And she's like, 400,000. And he's like, what? Yeah, that's that's the stuff that's already out there that they could get caught with. That's a lot of money just to be floating in the ether. Yeah. So she continues to entertain her guests and plays her role, you know, as the fake do-gooder. And Tay leaves before Mon can say anything else. Which, the the way he leaves, too, is very interesting because it gave Mon Mothma the, you know, like, she's worried because she just told him, like, hey, by the way, I just involved you in almost half a million credits being missing. And the Empire is cracking down on shit like that. So, like, you know, she's probably, in her head, she's probably thinking, oh, God, is he going to turn me in? Like, is he going to betray me? Yep. Yep. And the other thing, too, is her husband is starting to look mad sus. Like, I mean, like, Tim sus. Yeah. Like, he starts staring at this guy. It's... I don't think it's... I don't think it's... He's thinking rebellion. I think he's just thinking that she's cheating on him. That's what I'm saying. Tim sus. Yeah, which, by the way, honestly, that might be good for him, because that'll just be another story he can tell to the other housewives. Ooh, got him! We cut back to Cassian, who is uh, finishing up his day, and we find out that he actually, his floor, or his team, lost on their floor, so he got zapped. So, and one of the prisoners, he was like, uh, it was rough getting zapped twice in one day. And, you know, so he's, so he's like tired, he's standing in line with the other prisoners, and he notices uh, one of the prisoners is like sign-languaging to other prisoners in line on a different part of the section. Yeah, like a whole other floor or whatever. Yeah. They're like so like they're in line first and they do this this weird thing and then they go to their cells and then they like end I think up it's a head count. Stuff. I think that's what they're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, so they're so but they can see the other floors through panes of glass and so they're like signaling to each other, you know, telling each other like the news of the day or whatever, which is like it's so, you know, their whole idea of hey, we're going to turn the floors against each other doesn't seem to be working because they have a little bit of co- unit cohesion at least. They've come up with this whole sign language to speak to one another anyways they get them uh through the head count they get into their barracks and we find out where cassian is supposed to you know call home for the next six years he doesn't because he'll be dead in five whoa spoiler man whoa uh, gee oh no did you know that darth vader dies at the end of star wars <gasps> come on man what are you doing i know i'm a stinker anyways they're not bad conditions that he finds himself in. You know, he's got water. He's got uh, a cot, his own, you know, little semi-private room. 
Uh, no one else is allowed to step inside of his cell while he's in there. Otherwise, they'll get zapped. He's got a foldable toilet. Nobody's going to take his toilet paper. No one's going to take his toilet paper. Uh, and he actually gets all the food that he wants. Although something very interesting, it's just like a bland paste that gets pumped out through a tube. And apparently, if your team wins that day, you get taste. And if your floor wins, you get flavor. Just once again, that sense of control, you know, trying to encourage you to work by taking away everything except for like, you know, food is very important. Food is... I would like to know... You want to know what it tastes like, don't you? Yeah, I want to know what's the (laughs) difference between your taste and flavor. What does it taste like when you have taste? And then what kind of flavor? Do you get to choose the flavor? Like, what is it? Well, what I'm wondering, too, is, is like, what if they, like, they pump in spicy flavor and you're not a spicy person? It's like, I worked so fucking hard, and now, I'm like, my mouth just burns. Ooh, I would, or, or, like, fish. Oh, like, oh yeah. Just like a fish. Bad t- Although, honestly, a couple of months in that place, you'd probably be happy for bad taste. It would be at least something they, to talk they about. They didn't say good flavor, you know? No, yeah. While they're, you know, while they're going over this stuff, all the other prisoners kind of gather around him, and they're like, hey, man what do you know about this lockdown that's happening? And he's like, what, what do you mean? And it turns out that because of the Aldani robbery, every single prisoner that he is now sharing a cell with had their prison sentences doubled overnight. And so he's pretending like, oh, I don't know anything. I don't know what's going on out there. And they're like, wow, he doesn't really know. And it's like, man, if, he, if they found out that he's the reason that none of them get to leave and see their families again for like double what they were doing, they probably kill him. I could see that. He kind of like settles in, you know, he gets it, he gets in. There's a really cool transition. Before we know it, 30 days pass. I personally didn't see the number on the screen because he has a he has a screen in his cell that says how many days. I saw one guy had like less than a hundred days. I saw a couple of screens that were really, really different. And his was I didn't see it change. Yeah, so it did. I actually, I, you, you were right. I didn't think it did either. So I went back and rewatched it. It did change, but it was such a subtle, small change. That's why okay. I think they put up the 30 cycles later uh, graphic on there. Gotcha. I also noticed that it was like actual, like numeric, like we could read it. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I think if, if I go back and, and watch, I got to go back and watch A New Hope because uh, they have the, the number counter. When they're on the tr- the, the the trench mm-hmm, run, mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering if that if that counted down numbers. I'm pretty sure it did. I don't know if Lucas made up his own space number system as well. I don't think mm. he did. Well, anyway, he's been there for a while now, uh, and he's done pretty well to contribute to his team. Yeah, he seems to have he he seems to slot in. And is not doing doing too bad. I think he's accepted that, like for now at least, he's got to blend in and try yeah. to yeah. go along with what's happening. Yep. Back on Ferrix, however, we see that life uh, is kind of picking up the way it was, only with one small hitch: the Empire is directly on the planet. And uh, we also see that uh, Marva is uh, being true to her word. She is uh, getting, in a, getting in a little trouble. Bix even has to, like, uh, counsel her to be like, hey, what are you doing? And it turns out she's spying for the Rebellion, trying to figure out how to get them into the hotel to blow it up. She's a badass, and she has a cold. Yep, and she's got, well, and she's, well she's killing herself doing this. 
Yeah. And it, she and everyone keeps asking, like, where is Cassie? Where is Cassie? And no one seems to know. Not even Sintas and Vel, who Whoa. are on Ferrix now spying on Marva and having yep. a little bit of a, of a, of a I almost said marital spout, but we don't know what their relationship status is. So, it, well, the big thing is they're looking for Cassian and they're annoyed because nobody knows where the hell he is. Yeah, and that and that it's hurting their relationship. It's definitely a strain. So we see Bix go to her father to contact Luthen, and then we go and see Luthen, and Luthen realizes that contacting Andor in person was kind of a mistake. Yeah, he overplayed his hand a lot. Like yeah. His, his whole thing is hiding in the shadows, but he was like, I need this Ferrex job to work, so I need to personally go get this guy. He was fairly desperate, I believe. Yeah. Because he, ty- he was tired of Mon Mothma's uh, being so slow about the organization. Yep, yep. And he seems a bit distracted, too. And his assistant is like, hey, dude, like we have it- I have some quotes later, but he- she's pretty much like calling him out, like, we're shutting this down, like... Ferrex is done. We're not doing this anymore. And he's like, yeah, but his mom is sick. And it's like, bro, now you care about this guy? He's like, well, I mean, his mom is sick. I think it's more of like, oh, we can get him using his mom. And she- I don't know. It felt more like his mom's sick, though. Like, I don't know. I, th- I think he kind of felt for him. In a, I don't know. That's how I interpreted it. But eh, maybe I'm wrong. So they decide to cut Ferrex off. And the next day, Bix's father disappears. He gets arrested and brought to the hotel. And the whole it thing is, when vanishes. you get brought to the hotel, you're not seen again. You don't leave. At least, at, at least that's how it's been lately. Yeah, so she's on the street with Brasso, and they're part of a crowd that is watching all these stormtroopers and Imperials walk around, gathering people up. She sees the fact that her father got arrested, so she's like, what's going on? And then they see her and yell her name and start chasing her. Funny Brasso just, like, stands there and gets in the way and just puts his hands up. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oops, sorry about that, fellas. Oh, I didn't mean bad. to be in your oh. way. It's great. She's running down the street, but ultimately, no. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't, doesn't work too well. We, we don't see it, but she gets captured. Yeah. But we do see Luthen flying to a meeting on a planet called Segramilo. And he's meeting with our good friend, Forrest Whitaker, a.k.a. Saw Gerrera. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. I love Saw Gerrera. I love Forrest Whitaker, so that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, there you go. I still think they did him dirty in Rogue One. Now, now knowing more of his backstory, I'm, I'm kind of yeah, sad that yeah. they killed him the way they did. Because apparently in, in early drafts of Rogue One, he was going to be on Scarif fighting with everyone else. And I would have liked to have oh, seen that. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, having him go down in a, in a, in a last stand would have been, would have been great. Luthen and, and, and Saw, they clearly know each other. And it, it's kind of cool. This shows how fractured the Rebellion is because they both accuse each other of pulling off the Aldani heist. Saw's like, oh, you did a great job with that Aldani heist. And Luthen's like, oh, I thought that was you. Like, he doesn't reveal it. Like, this is how much they do, the Rebellion doesn't, like, is in its infancy. They don't trust each other. Yeah. They are not unified. And Luthen even goes further, and he's like, hey, what if we, you know, what if you meet with this guy that I know who's planning on attacking this, uh, this facility? He needs air support. He doesn't have the ships. You have the ships. And saw, we're going to get, I'm sure it's going to be in the quotes. But he lists off all of the like fractured 
rebel groups out there. And he's like, no, none of these guys are lined up. None of them are linked. Like, I have no reason to fight for these guys because there's no unified voice. Yeah, it, it remember in the earlier episodes, we talked about how we wanted to see these groups and organizations interacting, how they would. Well, now we're actually really seeing it. Now we're seeing how they don't really like each other. They all have this vision of their way or the highway, and, you know, Sagarera is just like, they're lost. I'm the only one with the true vision. And there's a whole argument there where he's just like, you know, Luthen's like, hey, man, we're not going to be able to get to this ending that we want with all of us not working together. And the weird thing is, Saw's kind of cool with it, to be honest. Like, Saw's, Saw's even like, like he's like, so are you going to meet with the guy? And Saw's like, not for that price. I'm not doing it. Not for you. Even for free. That's the thing. It's a free. Yeah. And he's like, nah, homie. Nah. So after this, we go see Bix, and she is captured. She's at the hotel. Deirdre is like, got her dad in the room, and she says, leave him in the room. I want her to see him. And then they bring Bix in. She sees her dad and Deidre just turns to the same guy. and is like, what are you doing? Get him out of here. Yep. And then they pick her, you know, psychological tactics and all that. They pick him up, bring him out of the room. They sit her down on the same exact chair. And then that's the end of the scene. And it, it immediately cuts to a great shot of Cassian and his team slaving away with like there's just no hope like this episode ends with no hope and that's a great way to just wrap up this kind of bleak episode mm-hmm mm-hmm it's pretty depressing uh we'll get into it here in a bit but before we do we're gonna take a quick break all right so we're back so, Jaden, overall thoughts. What do you think you liked about this episode? What do you think you didn't really like about this episode? Give me, give me something. Let's go. No, I think this episode is uh, a great uh, build-up. I feel like I only have positive things to say about uh, Andor, which I, I should come up with some negatives so that people don't think I'm biased. It only comes out every week. I want more. Yeah, I know, right? That's how dare they. Um, I think, no, I think this is a good episode. It was a little slow, I think. Yeah. In terms of action, but like that's that's what that's what I think makes the show good is that it steps out from the usual Star Wars formula of explosions every ten minutes. Let's do fun action sets. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hey, that's great, but like let's try a more deep and rich story. Yeah. One of my buddies uh had said something to me recently how he wasn't too crazy about Andor because for him, Star Wars is like Jedi's and all that stuff. And I tried to explain it to him, and I was like, hey, you know, like, Star Wars, to me, at least, is more than that. And there's a lot going on. You know, they're fighting oppression, all sorts of stuff. And he was like, oh, that's actually a really cool way of, like, looking at that. I'm going to watch Andor now, and I'm going to kind of have an open mind about that. Yep. And I told him it was, like, you know, kind of Game of Thrones-y, drama-y, that kind of stuff. I liked this. I, like, I liked this episode. I liked this show because I think... This specific episode, right, it felt like I was in the Star Wars universe, but, like, other stuff happens in this universe, not just Jedi and ships, you know? So... Oh, yes. It's interesting. I feel like this show has shown us so much of, like, an immersive aspect, because it's showing multiple different aspects of the universe, right? And... 
it's, it's just really cool. Um, I think the prison was great. I loved the aesthetic of the prison, of how, it, you know, the colors were kind of, like, drawn out. Everything was washed out. Now, not washed out with, like, a filter, but everything was, like, white. And so it washed everybody out. Like, the lighting washed them out. And it made you really feel like you were just part of a cog in a machine. They yep. were literally building giant cog-like things as well. Exactly. So they Metropolis were just another vibes. statistic. Yeah, they're just another statistic, and I liked that. As well as I liked the comparison with Mom Mothma because she's in a prison, but she's in a different type of prison. Not a prison of, like, you know, walls, but of a prison of, one, her mind, because she can't really get out and, sh- you know, show who she really is. As well as, she's in a prison in her own home. Her husband is a piece of shit. They even mention in the in like one, like early one of the conversations, like, "Hey, you should look at this view." And it's like this yeah. is literally a bird in a cage here. Yeah, that's what it was. And her husband, we find out that they got married really young, and like that's the custom on their planet. And they got married before she even moved to Coruscant, like as a representative. Sixteen years old, I think it was like fifteen yeah. or like fifteen. Yeah, so, like, they've been together for a while. They've known each other for a while. I don't know if it was an arranged marriage or not, but clearly they've been together for it quite some time. It feels pretty arranged. Yeah, it, it definitely does. But clearly they've been together for some time, and he's a piece of shit. He, you can't trust him. He's, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, wow, that sucks. You've been with him for so long, and you've never been able to trust him. You've never been able to, like, actually be yourself around this person that you have been forced to be around. It's just... She's in a, a prison of her own. And so I really liked that. I thought the thing with Luthen also kind of in an, his own prison as well. Um, hiding in the shadows. That's something I'll yep. get into in the quotes. But I feel like everybody, the theme here was like everybody was in their own type of prison. Cassian, a physical prison. Uh, and everybody else, like, you know, either the prison of the shadows, prison of their mind, prison in their own house, like stuff like that. I mean, even Ferrix. Ferrix is a prison planet now, if anything. Yep. So there's just a lot going on. And I just think the episode did a really good job of kind of giving us a little bit of um, a peek within the window of those prisons. And I want to say something real quick about uh, the character of uh, Daedra. I really, really like that character. We're kind of transitioning into quotes a little bit here, but I want to read a quote that the actress uh, Denise Go said at uh, an event, talking about how like the the progression of the character. You know, they said uh, uh, she says Tony wrote the first scenes for us to cheer for Daedra, but in the end, you don't do it anymore. She's not just a woman in a man's world, but a fascist in a world of fascists. It is important to see that power corrodes women as much as men. And I was like, damn, that is, that's absolutely what's happening here. Yeah. She's now in yeah. power and she's just doing the exact same shit that every other Imperial does. Yeah. I, I was like, that's awesome. God, the writing is so fucking good. It's, it's really good. And I, I will say I've seen online some people like being like, what's well, Andor? And I'm like, come on, you are missing out. This yes. show is the bee's knees. All right. I I am totally obsessed. I, I I mean, I get obsessed with a lot of shows that I watch in general, but this one, not just cuz we're doing this this show ourselves, but I have been like really being like I mean, we text like all the time now. I'm like, "What do you think is going to happen? I want to see this." I'm like, yep. it's just I love this thing. Like this is 
such a different pace for Star Wars, and yeah. I was going to say, there's a difference between liking a show and just doing reviews for the podcast. See my attitude on the Halo show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into some quotes here. Yes. Some of these are really short. Some of these are a little long. So the first one is Karn, and when he gets that report, it's when Deidre says, you know, you signed it. And he turns and says, I was given no choice. The cracks and the broken system, if you will, they're starting to shed some ugly light. You know, they're, they're, they're shedding their ugly head. The use of fear and power, right? That's what the, the Empire has. But it's also causing problems within the Empire, within their own, like, people, right? We didn't get the full report. The report was not done correctly because the guy who was involved in the actual situation was intimidated. He was they used fear and intimidation to just push their own agenda, and we don't know what actually happened. At least they, they don't know what actually happened. They're covering it up, all this shit. So yep. that fear and, and intimidation, it might work for like you know controlling people and all that other shit but it's also like causing some problems no i absolutely agree with that everything you just said there the next one is uh when didra is in that meeting she kind of gets she gets countered with her whole argument about cassian by the commanding officer saying like this is expensive there's a lot of stuff going on here that you want us to use a lot of resources a lot of money a lot of time and she rebuttals this out of uh order if you will she just blurts out it's a fraction of the price of lost technology she sees the importance of how the little things this little box for instance that we recovered it can snowball into a bigger problem. Yeah. I mean, she's she's the only one that seems to understand that there is a bigger threat out there. They all think that it's, you know, there is nothing. She's got the eyes on the prize, which is interesting because then she runs into Karn, who has a very similar attitude to this. He yeah. says, you know, the next quote is about him. You know, he says, I was a good deputy inspector. I was very good. I solved the double murder and found the killer in two days. I was overly ambitious. Yes. But time was slipping away, and the opportunity was real. Service to the Empire, you just said it. Can one ever be too aggressive in preserving order? I didn't deserve what happened. I'll tell you right now, that sentence right there, I was like, he, he's lost redemption in my eyes. Where he's like, like I thought like, ooh, maybe they're going to do like a him turning to the rebels kind of thing. But I'm like, mm-hmm. that's, that's a pretty fascist thing to say, man. Can one ever be too aggressive in preserving order? That's pretty fascist. Think about it. I feel like he was... I mean, he's pretty young, right? He seems to be younger than Cassian, at least when I look at him. The age of the characters is a little in question because, like, the the, the books yeah. and stuff said Cassian was, like, 21 in yeah, Rogue yeah, One. Yeah. And I'm like, that's yeah. not true. Also, I know in the last episode I said Sybil, but it's actually Cyril is his name. But I feel like... Cyril was raised in the Empire, right? Like, yes. that's, I feel like, all he knows. And so I think the whole order thing has been ingrained in him, not just by political propaganda, but his mom. Did you, I mean, you looked at her house, right? Like, it was, it was all order. He had three toys and that's it. Like, everything was pristine. She's about his, you know, collar being pressed and tailored. She doesn't like that, but to him, that's order and taking care of it. To her, that's like, that is, 
desperate. That's, you know, you're putting your own personalization into it. I mean, people commented on his uniform earlier in the first episode, like, did you have it tailored? He's like, yes, I had it tailored. I did this, 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 this. Like, he wants to be important, be part of a cog. Yeah, yeah. he wants to have the order part, but he's also kind of showing some individuality as well by doing those things because he's standing out. I think that that actually shows a really good, just like, internal mindset for him. Like, he wants to fit in and he wants to really fit in that puzzle piece the best way he can. But by doing the things he's doing, he's standing out. And that can be dangerous in the Empire. We've seen what happened with Deirdre. Like, they're saying, like, her officers are telling her, like, hey, watch your back. Like, you're supposed to just be in the corner and be quiet, but now you're stirring up all this shit and you're, you know, standing out. And I think it's the same thing with him. So him doing this and turning up and, you know, standing up and saying these things, she kind of turns and looks at him. And and here's what I noticed when she looks at him. She doesn't necessarily shut him down down. Where, like... She says stuff that shuts him down, but the look she gives him is like, yo, I get you. I'm in the same boat. Now, the next conversation we have is when Cassian shows up at the prison. He's getting the rundown of the floor, the tables, you know, the room, all that shit. And what's really, really cool, I thought this quote was really cool because the way it's explained to him... Kino just owns the room, right? Kino looks at him and says, this is like one of the last things he says to him before he gets him to his table, and he says, the point of this conversation is that you understand one thing most clearly. I have 249 days left of my sentence. I have a free hand in how I run this room. I'm used to being in the top three on this level. You will want to keep that happening. I'm sensing you understand me. Sick, injured, you talk to me. Problems with another inmate, I'll know before you do. Losing hope, your mind, keep it to yourself. Don't ever slow up my line. This guy has a lot of power in this room. He has free control of the room. He is the prison guard. And what better way to have a prison guard be an inmate? The inmate that wants to get out so badly that he will do anything to make sure productivity in this room is like top tier yeah and i mean there's even a scene later where he's like come on guys you're almost ahead it'd be a shame for you to waste this opportunity and it's like this dude he doesn't give a shit about them he cares about himself he knows that his job is to get them out of here yep he just wants to leave and his sentence was probably tripled as well yeah i i was thinking about that when i was watching yeah when i was watching the episode like everybody got theirs doubled like his got doubled too so he he was close, man. He was very yeah. close. He was very close. Le- way, le- I mean, less than half a year he would have been out. And now he's stuck for almost a full year. So the next uh, quote, is, this, is, this is at the party. Um, we have Mon Mothma's husband. He says, well, good luck at feeding the galaxy. I'm off to feed myself. <laughs> and... <laughs> Oh, man, this is great. Um, Tay Colma says, charity begins at home. Burn. It was so great. Dude, the look her husband gives him, he's just like, are you fucking kidding me? And just like stares at her and him. And it was great. And I loved it. 
But anyway, okay, aside from that, another quote from this party, it's, uh, it's a whole conversation uh, with Mon Mothma and a bunch of other senators. So I'm just going to read it, uh, and I'll tell you when Mon Mothma says something compared to everybody else. So we have these senators, and they're talking about Palpatine, and they're talking about P.O.R.D., P-O-R-D which is the legislation that was made that increased everybody's sentences and just like, you know, why Cassian, who didn't do anything, went to jail for no reason. Palpatine's frustrating, yes, we agree. Too easily provoked, yes. Overreactive, but... Another one says, understatement. Says what he means. We're discussing legislation, not speeches. Mon Mothma says, what does he mean? What is public order? It's an awfully big box, isn't it? The emperor's primary charge is to protect us, is it not? And that's what the PORD legislation will do. And Mon Mothma says... How much protection is enough? We know what too little looks like. Surveillance and prosecution without limit? If you're doing nothing wrong, what is there to fear? Mon Mothma then says, Well, I'm fearing your definition of wrong. Another senator says, These are dangerous times. She says, Dangerous times? Are they not? Do you feel under threat, Mon Mothma says? And the senator who's clearly been the one who's the hardest to convince, he ends the conversation by saying, Personally here? Yes. I'm at great risk of ingesting too much of this nourishing Shindrillian hospitality. <laughs> Let's talk about how these senators are still all over the place with government outreach. You can see how one side has been using fear and control you know, that kind of legislation and, and, and just how they vote and everything and their own reasoning. And I think, you know, Mon Mothma does a great job of asking what they are afraid of, while the one who deflects at the end, he either doesn't know or he just doesn't care. That's the whole thing. Like, real world um, comparisons aside, yep. the whole like, well, if you have nothing wrong, you know, if you didn't do anything, what do you have to fear? It's like, I shouldn't have to fucking do anything wrong or right. You'd leave me the fuck alone. Like the overreach here is really grotesque and intense. And the, the quote where she says, I'm fearing your definition of wrong because everybody has their own definition of wrong. Oh, absolutely. And so like, that's the whole point. Like language is important here um, as it is everywhere. And I think she raises the best questions you might think something's wrong. These guys might think it's fine. Who are you to say that, you know, now they need to go to jail? It's a very good point. Now, the next quote is in the prison, right? When they're all talking in the cell area on the hallway, Melchie just kind of looks at Cassian after everybody realizes he doesn't know what the P.O.R.D. thing is. He looks at him and just like kind of get I don't want to say gets in his face, but he's like gets really serious and he's like, hey, here's the deal. And when he does this, uh, Kino's not happy with him. Yeah, he is really pissed. Don't ever look at the number. Double, triple, it doesn't matter. You're here till they don't want you. Yep. Get straight with that. Getting out now is dreaming. Those days are over. Melshi spitting the truth. Absolutely. You are a cog. You're nothing to them. A part that can be replaced. Cassian replaced another guy. He was just another piece of the puzzle they just you know got a new part and it's him yeah we don't know what happened to the guy casting is replacing they never say he could be dead he's probably dead 
We do see uh, one scene that we kind of like mushed over. Some guy does commit suicide in in that cell block. Um, when the lights turn red on the floor, everybody has to be off into their cell. Otherwise, basically, they die. And we see some guy commit suicide. And everybody's like, oh, damn, now we got to have to smell him. And we're going to have to lose somebody at a table. And, like, it's a whole thing. Like, everybody's pissed about productivity rather mm. than, like, their friend killed himself. You know what I mean? And I think that's another thing with the quote saying, like, you know, if you have mental problems, if you're upset, keep it to yourself. Like, I don't know. I feel like if a whole team of people are doing okay, you know what I mean? Like, yep. they're more likely to be more productive. But that also keeps everybody from communicating properly, right? So I think the whole point of, like, you're just another cog. They don't give a shit about you. Your number means nothing. You're never getting out. Like, you're fucked, dude. Like, you're going to do this till the day you die, and that's it. And I think I think he knows what he's doing. I think he's, he, I think he's right. Absolutely. So now we have a couple quick quotes here as well. After this one, uh, we have one from Marva. She says, my mother was a whiner and that will kill you. I mean, that's a good mentality to have, especially in a rebellion kind of yep. mindset. Like, stop complaining, just deal with your problem. Get just it over Just deal with your stuff, man. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty quick, straight to the point. Just, just go. The other quote is Cinta talking to Vel. And she just says, well, maybe I'm a rich girl running away from her family. Vel just kind of looks at her and is like, that, that's, hey, man, that's, 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 that's a little much. And, you know, we got a backstory there possibly, you know. And she continues to talk because they're arguing about, like, their love and then, like, what they're doing here. And she tells Vel, she goes, I'm a mirror, Vel. You love me because I show you what you need to see. There seems to be more to their relationship than we thought, right? It's not just, like, two people madly in love. There's a lot going on there. She knows her backstory. She's like, hey, I'm, I, I just tell you what you want to hear, and you yep. like that, so I do that to pretty much, you know, placate you. Exactly. That, that's really what it is. Yeah, and Vel's clearly, like, bummed out about it, which, hey, the truth hurts. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. Yeah. Um, the other one is Clea talking with uh Luthen and she's like hey man I'm thinking clearly and you're not because the whole thing is she wants to shut down Ferrix and she's like dude like you messed up and you are slipping and Luthen does not like this he says I'm not slipping Clea I've just been hiding for too long and that's his prison kind of thing right like he's been hiding for so long and he's just like I think it's the biggest thing is he's feeling like he can break free but it is starting to cause him problems right Yep exactly like he did so well because he was in the shadows whereas now he's not hiding he said this multiple times in other episodes where he's like we're not hiding we don't have to hide anymore and it's caused uh now some problems for him. So now we're going to get to the quotes that I really love. I love the entire conversation between Luthen and uh, Saw. And I don't want to, I, I, I wrote it. I, I'm not going to say all of it because the entire thing is quotable in my opinion. But I, I, the, the one I liked the beginning was uh, whatever our final chance of success looks like, there's no chance any of us can make it real on our own. We need the Empire to help. We need them angry. We need them coming down hard. Oppression breeds rebellion. It's kind of crazy because he's right, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. Right now, the Empire is just, 
the 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 foot's not on the neck. It's just, well, it's on the neck, but it's not p- applying pressure. Everyone's just kind of chilling, you know. It's like they're they're in this weird. They're not free, but they're not enslaved. And Luthen needs them to realize just how bad the empire can be before, yeah, you know, that things can get moving. And it's it's just really cool. The fear and oppression is the greatest weapon that they can use against the empire because it's the only card they have to play. And yeah. And then we get to we get to learn a little bit more about Luthen himself. You know, Saga asks him, you know, what are you, Luthen? He lists off all of these other different people who are uh, fighting the Empire. You know, like that guy's a separatist. That guy's a, a, a human first. That guy is a anarchist. Like, what are you, Luthen? I've never really known. What are you? And Luthen just fires back, "I'm a coward. I'm a man who's terrified that the Emperor's power will grow to a point." beyond where we can do anything to stop it. I'm the one who says we'll die with nothing if we don't put aside our petty differences. He's right. He's a thousand percent right. He's hundred percent right. It's all the infighting. He's, his only fear is that he's going to, that he's, you know, that there's nothing he can do. And I love that. That's so cool. And, and he's doing everything he can. He's trying to bridge the gaps. He's got the money. He just needs the people. Yeah, and and like I said earlier, you know, the whole fear and oppression thing is is the empire's greatest asset, if you will, right? But now, it could also be used against them as their greatest deficit. Like they are going to cause a rebellion by being too oppressive. And I think Luthen being terrified himself, like think about that. Yep, he's scared. It's worked. He's terrified. He's seen in so much. He's seen like so much in control. In every episode we've seen him in, but now we're seeing a more vulnerable side of him. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was a great scene. So questions. Um, do we have any questions about what's up next? I mean, listen, you're going to get into Jaden's really nerdy thing. I thought it was very interesting that um, uh, that Saw Guerrero's group has X-Wings already because in Rebels, yeah, they didn't get that. X-Wings until like the last season. And I'm like, hmm, has the Incom company uh, changed sides a little earlier than we thought maybe? Are these Ooh. early versions? Maybe this. Maybe it wasn't a T sixty five. Maybe it was like a T sixty two or something. You know, like a like an earlier oh, okay. version of the X wing. My questions were not as nerdy. My questions are more just like, who the fuck is Luthen? That's still? fair. Like, that, yeah. like I just still like. <laughs> fair I enough. Know what's Leave up. me out to dry yeah. with my weird questions. I I mean I'm curious about that. Like the little detail things are pretty interesting. I I'm very curious about like you know, what's up with Luthen still. I want to know how he knows Saw. I want to know, like, what is his relationship? How did it start? That kind of stuff with, with, with these people. Um, I want to know what they are building. Like, I want to know what has Cassian been working on? What are these little things that they're, you know, putting together? If I had to guess, components for the Death Star. I would say yes, but how fucked up would it be if these were components that they keep putting together over and over again, and when they put it in, like, wherever they go to, like, take it, there's an automated machine that just takes it apart and then gives them the same parts over and over again. And that's just to keep them busy. I mean, please no, that would be terrible for them. That would suck. Oh, yeah, it's all about control, though. I mean, I'm just saying, I think that'd be totally fucked up, but I would, I mean, I, it's an empire thing, you know? Like, I feel like that's something they would do. 
Your silence makes me scared. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the evil things that the Empire could be doing psychologically. What are they, vault tech now? Oh, God. Hey, they're in a vault, if you think about it. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So, final thoughts. What do you think? I would say that I think this episode had a, a theme of, of being stuck, right? Yep. Stuck in your own prison. Um, I, like I've said, you know, how the prison is just another cog. Like, that's the thing. They're, all their prisons are just another cog in the societal machine, including Luthen's. Um, and including Vels, right? Yep. Uh, in this episode, we see two major prisons, I would say, like Cassian and Mon Mothma's, but also, like I said, Vel's prison, uh, of who she is, you know, trying to escape being the rich girl, I guess. Um, Luthen's, uh, of being terrified and hiding in the shadows, uh, Ferex itself as a planet. Hell, even Karn! Karn is in a different role. He's a puzzle piece that doesn't fit. He just fits, but he's missing something, right? There's something there. It's like putting, you know, um, the square in the circle. He's fitting in that hole, but he's, there's gaps, right? And so he's trying to fill those gaps and he wants to be useful. And I think this is him doing the same thing, you know, coming out of his shell and uh, Deidre, the whole, I mean, everybody, if you look at this whole episode, everybody is, is stuck in some way. Um, I'm not saying they've necessarily escaped, but they're starting to, like they're doing something at least. And I think the only two that haven't is Mon Mothma and Cassian. Absolutely. What about you? What do you think? I mean, I, again, you, you echoing everything that I've said. I think that this is going to be set up for next episode. I've already seen a little bit of a teaser for it. I'm very excited to see Cassian's maybe beginning to get out of the prison. You know, I think even in, I think in a trailer that we saw, there's a bunch of guys running in prison outfits, and I'm like, ooh, what's what, how are we going to get out of here? And with that, guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you on the next one.